Welcome to The Big Rich Show. This podcast will focus on conversations with friends and acquaintances within the four-wheel drive industry. Many of the people that I will be interviewing, you may know the name, you may know some of the history, but let's get in depth with these people and find out what truly makes them a four-wheel drive enthusiast. So now's the time to sit back, grab a cold one, and enjoy our conversation. Whether you're crawling the Red Rocks of Moab or hauling your toys to the trail, Maxxis has the tires you can trust for performance and durability. Four wheels or two, Maxxis tires are the choice of champions because they know that whether for work or play, for fun or competition, Maxxis tires deliver. Choose Maxxis. Dread victoriously. Why should you read Four Low Magazine? Because Four Low Magazine is about your lifestyle, the four-wheel drive adventure lifestyle that we all enjoy. Rock crawling, trail riding, event coverage, vehicle builds, and do-it-yourself tech all in a beautifully presented package. You won't find Four Low on the newsstand rack, so subscribe today and have it delivered to you. On today's episode of Conversations with Big Rich, we have Mike Schaefer. Mike Schaefer is one of the original OG ARCA rock crawling competitors. In fact, national championship at ARCA in the old Zuki. And then Mike competed at the first Cal Rocks event that I put on, which was Put Up or Shut Up in 2001. And I believe he actually won that event. So we'll talk to Mike about the early days of rock crawling, being a fabricator, a race car builder, racing in Baja, and a national competitor in rock crawling. So let's get started and talk to Mike. Mike, thank you for coming on board. So how have you been? How's the family? Good, good. Everybody's doing good, even though we're in the what seems like the middle of this pandemic. But yeah, everybody, everybody's been really good. Business has been good. So yeah, no complaints. Great. Well, so uh, when where did you get started? Where did life start for Mike Schaefer? What state, what city? And uh, what were some of the influences as you were growing up? So I was born and raised in Livermore, California, um, in the Bay Area. My mom actually worked for a company doing composite work, fiberglass, carbon fiber, honeycomb work, so on. Um, That company did a lot of road race cars, and they built fiberglass bodies and parts and whatnot. And then... um, for a while, she worked for a company doing boats, and then she ended up getting a job with uh, Alan Sir Sr. on their indie team. Wow. And actually did composite work for a little over a year, I think it was, on the indie program. And then um, she moved back to California and then uh, went back to work for the original company, CDP Products, and they made a lot of, uh, this is where the off-road influence came from. They made a lot of fiberglass parts for John Dietz's old race Jeep. And then John Dietz got sponsored by Nissan and they made parts for the, his Nissan um, program. And growing up being around that, I was super, super intrigued by it. And I don't know why, but I never really, I never fell in love with the road race scene, you know, going to Sears Point Laguna Seca a lot as a kid, but I just wasn't super in love with it. But the first time I got around anything to do with dirt, you know, I was, I was, I was hooked on it. I think that's a lot of us 
that are in this industry have come from that same kind of influence. You grew up in Livermore, California. For people that don't know, that's the East Bay across from San Francisco, south of Oakland. In high school, participate in any sports or what was your thing there? So I was I was kind of raised that if it didn't have a motor, it wasn't a sport. So all right. <laughs> um, actually, I I was into dirt bikes when I was in high school. Um, rode dirt bikes a fair amount, and then. Um, Right out of high school, I built a little Baja bug, ran that for a while, and then I went the opposite direction and started building a 66 El Camino as a drag car. And after I had the El Camino, and then I had a 71 Chevelle, and then a Chevy Nova, and that unfortunately, well, fortunately, it, um, there's a lot of street racing involved and <laughs> after getting arrested a lot for street <laughs> racing, um, finally I had a judge tell me that if he seen me again, um, I was going to go to jail for a long time. So I literally had just built a 70 Camaro and I sold the Camaro and bought a 77 Toyota Land Cruiser. And within, I think a couple of weeks we were going to Rubicon. Nice. And, uh, that kind of started that whole going down that other path. Well, about what year was that? Probably 2000, I mean, 94. 94. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I want to ask you what, what year you were born or how old you are. I know you're younger than I am. About Just about everybody is younger than I am. But uh, let's, uh, let's talk about those early days of rock crawling and being, you know, with the Toyota that surprised me when you said Toyota. I knew that you, you know, you built the Zuki buggy, but uh, we'll get to that in a minute. Let's talk about those early days on the Rubicon. So yeah, I had a '77 Land Cruiser that we did a an SM420 swap, a granny box four speed swap, and then um, some cheap Lincoln or not Lincoln lockers, but they were what were they? They were Lockrights lockers, and. Um, it's actually kind of funny because there's a lot of guys in the off-road industry that I met with that rig. I was over Rubicon in the snow one year and I broke a Burfield and there was a family that I ran into that had a Burfield and they literally teased me with it and told me they had it, showed it to me and told me, nope, you, we're not, we're not selling it. We're not giving it to you. We're not loaning it to you. And, uh, they had a pinkish FJ40, and uh, that was the Faber Brothers, <laughs> and it was my first time dealing with with them. <laughs> but um, but yeah, and then you got, uh, you got back at them later on because you just whooped their butts at all the competitions. <laughs> yeah, the um, it was all good though. I mean, they were oh, yeah. they you know they weren't they weren't you know, assholes about it or anything or whatnot, but they just, they, uh, yeah, they kind of just gave me a hard time about it. You know, new kid at Rubicon don't have any spares and so on. And then I ended up selling that rig and, and building an 85 forerunner that had a, a V6 in it and, uh, was fully caged and a bunch of other stuff. And, um, and then that rig actually, um, another snow trip, we were up at Rubicon it was super late in the, you know, 
it had to be April or, or yeah, I think it was in April. And uh, we went into Ellis Creek and it was a, there was lots of snow up at Rubicon late in the year. And the snow was super, super deep. And we get to Ellis Creek and we met Lance Clifford um, and then Lance's uh, ex-wife, Kelly. And uh, I think there was a couple other guys from Pirates of the Rubicon there. Um, I think the technician was there and uh, a few other guys. But we hung out there for the weekend. And then on the way out, right at the spillway, my rig big heavy forerunner broke through the, the, the ice right at the spillway where water was running under the snow and basically fell through. And it was sitting on the rear bumper and the front tires were on the, you know, the, the hard pack ahead of it, but the rear tires were like, it, they had to be like six or seven feet above the water running below. Wow. And Lance was in front of me. And I talked him into coming back and he was driving Kelly's old Jeep, the CJ. And um, he probably winched on me for two hours to get me unstuck. And he was, he was not happy, <laughs> but uh, yeah, he wasn't happy at all, but he, but he helped me out and got me unstuck. And uh, yeah, I willed that rig for a few more years and ended up selling it. And it's kind of funny story with that rig. I sold it to a guy and then he rolled it and then I bought it back got it back off of him for next to nothing. And then I willed it a little bit and then sold it to someone else. And then I think I ended up with it back one other time. And, <laughs> but then I moved on and built the the first little black Suzuki that I, that I did my first rock crawling comps in, which was based off a of Suzuki frame, you know, but it had a coil suspension front and rear that we built at the shop and the thing worked pretty well and it was small and super lightweight. So when did you start Schaefer's Off-Road? August 1st of 1998. Okay. And that, you were located in the Livermore area at that time? No. So in 96, I moved, 95, 96, I moved to Carson City, Nevada, kind of on a dare. Um, I had a friend that wanted to move up there. And so we had went up there and kind of checked it out. And we were looking at Lake Tahoe, Carson, so on. I was poking around looking in a newspaper and seeing that a shop was hiring and he dared me to call. And two weeks later I was moving wow. Got the job and was moving up there. So I moved up there and then uh, I worked at that shop for a little bit. And then I got a job working for the, for Carson city Dodge Chrysler and uh, worked there as a tech for a while. And then, um, and then in 98, I opened the shop in Carson. Okay. How did you decide to get into the comp scene? How did that all come about? So I built this little black Suzuki. The first go round, I built it with Suzuki axles and it was very, it, it looked very, uh, very basic, but it was still, you know, we, we had done a three link on the rear. The front was just sprung over, but it had, you know, gears and transfer case, all the other good stuff. And then at Rubicon, we did, uh, I think we were the second person to ever do crack line back in the day in, the, in Little Sluice. And um, Lance actually spotted me through it. And uh, he was sitting there antagonizing people to do it. And nobody would try it. So I was like, screw it, I'll try it. And I did it one direction and then turned around and did it the other direction. And another buddy that was there with me tried it and broke his truck and, and whatnot. But 
So the next year, we had modified the Suzuki and changed the front clip to kind of an all tube front clip and stretched the wheelbase a bunch and put uh, Wagoneer Dana 44s in it. And we went to Moab for Easter Jeep Safari. And I ran into, we were playing on some obstacle up off by on Hell's Revenge. And I ran into uh, this guy, Randy Ellis. And I knew Randy from the magazines, but that was as far as I knew him. And, you know, I always liked the stuff he built. He always built kind of some wild, crazy stuff. And I thought it was pretty cool to be willing with those guys. And after willing with them for a little bit, Randy's like, you know, he had mentioned, asked if I had thought about doing any of the rock crawling comps. And I never really had. I mean, I'd watch back then. It was at that time, it was just the Warren Rock Crawling Championships. And, um, I talked to him a little bit about it and didn't really put much thought into it. And then there was an event in Johnson Valley. They used to do an event, I think like in October. So the, the Victor Valley four wheelers, they did a little, little rock crawling um, event. And, and so we did the little event we got second place and we weren't too far off of them. And I was like, I kind of thought about it a little bit more. And so the next Warren event that they had at Johnson Valley, we tried to, we tried to actually enter. We couldn't get into it because it, the event was full. So we went down and watched it. And after that, I was kind of hooked. And the following year, the beginning of the following season, we signed up for the first ARCA event of the year. And uh, at that event, I mean, there was probably 80 competitors, maybe a hundred competitors. And uh, it was our first event. And I remember there was one obstacle right off the start. It was like our first obstacle and every single competitor in front of us, just like all day watching them go into this obstacle rolled over on this one set of cones. And I'm like, why is everybody trying to get around this one cone? That's only worth 10 points and they're getting 40 points. Cause they're all friggin' rolling over. So I was like, screw it. We're just going to take the cone. And next thing you know, the end of the first day, we were like in second place. And we ended up ending the event in sixth place. And it was uh, our first event ever. The next event we went to, I think the next event was like Las Cruces or something like that. That was a super fun event. Um, it was the first time I seen Mike Palmer's old rig with that big sprint car motor. Right. And uh, that thing was crazy, you know, for the time. And, but I just, I honestly super intimidated, you know, competing against guys like Shannon and Palmer and all those guys back then. But it was the early days was so much fun. It was just so different than it's gone. You know, it's just because it was new, you know, there's lots of guys that were driving very basic rigs and everybody was learning and building new cool stuff. But, but it was a lot of fun. We finished off that year, and I think we ended up like fifth or sixth for the season that year in that little Suzuki rig. And then at the end of the season, we took the rig apart. Let me back up. Right. The final that year was Farmington, and I built, had the new rig done for Farmington. And basically, I just took all the running gear out of the Suzuki, built a tube chassis, and put coilovers on it. So super, super basic, just Wagoneer axles. Suzuki mode, well, it was a Suzuki Esteem 1.8 with a sidekick transmission to a Samurai transfer case and uh, with Wagoneer axles front and rear and Bilstein coilovers. And the rig, the chassis was super heavy. I never built a tube chassis, so I overbuilt the crap out of it. And uh, the chassis was like 675 pounds. 
And, uh, but the whole car was like 2,700 pounds. Everybody always thought it was like 2000 pounds, but the chassis was just so heavy. So we went to that event and we did okay at that event. I rolled on one of the, the major obstacles. And when I rolled, it broke the motor mounts on the motor. So that kind of set us back a little bit, but we finished the event and we did okay. But I think for the year, we were like fifth or sixth. I think we we're sixth place for the year. So then the next season, the first event of the next year was your Lake Amador event, which we won that event. After that event, my spotter quit and he wanted to go circle track racing. And he said, we would never make any money in rock crawling. So he was <laughs> going to go circle track racing. So then... uh Lance had been doing a, so we had done a build for the El Dorado Police Department, El Dorado County Sheriff's Department. We built a forerunner for him to use at Rubicon, which they never ended up actually being able to use. And they ended up, it was kind of a weird deal, but Pirate had gotten all the parts donated for it. And then we did the labor of the build. Lance covered it on Pirate. And why he was there, he asked me about doing asked me if I was interested in uh, having him make a website for me or some, something like that. And uh, so while he was at the shop and we were talking about the website stuff, he asked if I had a spotter. And I wasn't really sure yet at that point. So I called him a week or so later and had him spot for me at the first rock, ARCA rock crawling event of the year with the new rig. We won that event. And then that event was in Farmington. And then we went to Vernal, Utah, and we won Vernal, Utah. And then Cedar City, we we had right before Cedar City, we had switched to a TerraFlex Terra 50 rear axle, which was kind of an oddball rear axle that they built for a little while. In Cedar City, I got it really bound up and it broke a rear axle shaft. So that kind of set us back, but I still we still placed pretty well there. It was, I don't know, top three in Cedar City. And then uh, when we went to the final in Johnson Valley, it was really all about making sure we finished. As long as we finished in the top five, we had the the championship tied up. And so we just, I think we ended up finishing fourth or fifth at that event. And we just kind of, you know, took it easy the whole day and made sure not to break anything or tear anything up. And we ended up winning the ARCA championship that year, which is kind of crazy looking back now because I think we were paid out more that year than anybody ever in rock crawling history. And total for the year, four events was $64,000 is what we collected for the year. And then, um, and I think I may, I may cut the, the actual amount out so that you don't get revisited by the IRS. Well, I claimed it. Oh, you did? Okay, good. Everything was paid in check, so I claimed it all. Oh, nice. Um, But yeah, I I mean, it's kind of funny because I think that was Lance's, pretty much Lance's job that year. Pretty much all he had going was the winning at the event. So, because it wasn't until after that that Pirate 4x4 started really marketing a bunch of advertising and whatnot. But yeah, that was, that year was fun. And then, uh, for the following year, at the end of that season was Super Crawl, which was the first time they did Super Crawl. We had competed once against Tiny at another event. I think it was the ARCA Finals. I think Tiny was there, but it wasn't doing real well yet. They hadn't had it. It was their first out. time out. Yeah. Yeah. 
And then he showed up at Supercrawl, and I don't remember if he won Supercrawl or not, but I, I know that I, at that point I was like, okay, this car that we we have right now is not going to compete with stuff like that. And so I wanted to build something new. So we, I had somebody make me an offer at Farmington, and I sold the car right there on the spot. And it was kind of wild because I sold the car and the trailer. The guy went down and bought a brand new Dodge at the dealership to tow it all home, but he didn't have the money to give me in cash right then and there. So Lance went with him, collected the money, and the guy paid for Lance to fly home afterwards. Wow. So I drove home from the event, no trailer, no car, and Lance rode with that guy to, I think, Tennessee and hung out there for a couple of days and then flew home. It was kind of fun, you know, a little bit different. So then I started building um, the Diablo ones. I really wasn't sure what I was going to build. And then Jason Shear came to me and it was the first car I ever built for a customer as a buggy. I mean, we've been doing four wheel drive stuff at the shop, but never built anybody a car from the ground up yet. And Jason came to me and he had a bunch of ideas. He already kind of had a bunch of parts. And I was like, okay, well, we're just going to basically build two of these cars. You know, I mean, he he ran Dynatrack axles. We ran Terraflex axles. And like, I think he ran a different transmission than I ran. I think he ran a three-speed Chrysler Auto and I ran a 700R4. But we both ran the little 3.7 Short Star V6 that was super rare. The three fives were the normal one, but Turnkey Engine Supply had a bunch of the 3.7s. So we bought two of those at the same time. Yeah. And that was kind of, it was kind of a, a learning curve because I think the total cost Jason was into that car was I think less than what he was able to sell it for because I didn't know what to charge to build a car. So it was somewhat cheap, but back then it's like, you know, I was just thankful to be able to build somebody a car. And Jason was so awesome to work with. Like, Jason's neat because he's always got, I mean, lots of customers always have good ideas, but Jason was so detail oriented that like he wouldn't just have an idea on what he wanted the car to do, but he would have a really good idea what it was going to take to make that happen. And, you know, which you don't see a lot in customers, you know, um, and Jason's, you know, just super good to work with, you know, he's just always, he's always positive, you know, so, um, but it made building the car, you know, first car for us fun, you know, and it was different and fun and him and I think Jeff drove the car and competed in one series and Jason drove it and competed in the other. And we started the following season, which was the beginning of when Arca basically got bought out by UROC. And so we competed in your series, Cal Rocks then in that car. And then we competed in UROC. And to be honest, the car, I mean, the car did well, but again, you know, it was a learning curve. And, you know, we, back then it was triangulated four links were still kind of a normal thing. And, you know, the car had a super low roll center, so it didn't side hill really well, even knew, no, the car was super light. I mean, my car was lighter than Jason's because, Jason's car was mostly 120 wall chromoly, inch and a half, but my car, most of it, the upper cage was 120 wall, but everything else was 083 wall. 
So the chassis was, my chassis was 275 pounds. So going from that 600 and something pound Suzuki chassis, then to this was night and day difference. You know, I mean, the car actually weighed less than the Suzuki and it was almost, you know, it was right about 300 horsepower. So it went totally different car to drive. It was a lot of fun to drive. Um, I remember we did an event in Moab, Utah, and there was some little sand hills and I was racing Mitch Guthrie in his uh, LS powered Twisted Customs car. And we'd race up and down the hill and the little V6 would friggin' hang with the LS pretty well, you know, but so it was, it was a fun car to drive. That car also we did uh, back when Pirate and the Tin Benders did their, their trail challenge stuff. They did that race up back door and we friggin', I think we beat the fastest time by cutting it in half in that car. And, but it, the car wasn't built for that stuff. And it had four inches of up travel in the front, maybe five and a half in the rear. It just, it, yeah, it freaking beat, beat the crap out. Yeah. <laughs> so where did you go after, after that car? So after that car, after I built that car, I had, um, I had hired, a a new fab guy in the shop. And so the next set of cars that we built, we built four cars all exactly, or three cars all exactly the same. And we built these little single seat cars and we call them the Diablo two, but they were a little single seat car. And it actually kind of the sad thing with, with my Diablo one was I just pulled everything out of it and built a new chassis. And we built, you know, panhard bar, front and rear, three link car was super high panhard mounts. So the roll centers, you know, just super high and, you know, made the thing side hill. It, the thing would side hill until it would fall over on the sidewall of the tire and then it still wouldn't roll over. It was, it was pretty wild. Um, but front engine, but those cars, I mean, they had a super low belly and they, they hung up on the belly really bad. I was never really happy with that car that we built. Um, it just never really seemed to, I don't know, it did good, but I rolled that car probably more than anything I've ever rolled. <laughs> I think we did that event that you had that was down by right on the, the U.S.-Mexico border. What was yeah, that? in Boulevard. That yeah, Boulevard, that California. That event, I remember the first day, I think I rolled eight times that day. Wow. And I mean, several times on the same obstacle, get the thing back on its wheels and I'd roll it again. <laughs> you know, it just me and that car didn't get along real well. But we didn't, built. Didn't Pete Mazzoni have one of those chassis? Yep. So we built mine, Pete's, and we built one for, for Lance and Kelly as well. Okay. And uh, a couple of them are still running around. Um, I've I've seen them pop up here and there and. Yeah, they're still out there kind of running around. Cool. Then you decided at some point to get into, to stop the, the rock crawling. It was right about that time, wasn't it? So basically, let me roll back a little bit. So okay. in the in the first Suzuki in 2001, it would have been, at the end of the season, we picked up Summit Racing as a sp- main sponsor. We went to the next season, and it was our first time on BFGs for 2002 and first full season with summit. And we won the largest championship at the time. From that point on, we had a major sponsor all the way until 2005, basically. But in 2005, we were on 
we had switched from BFG, unfortunately switched to Toyo. The end of 2005, I was kind of locked in a deal with Toyo. And if we competed in 2006, we had to stay on Toyo. And Toyo in 2005 had came out with a sticky compound tire. Half the drivers got them, half the drivers didn't. And so we were on a DOT tire and we could not compete. We went from never not finishing in the top 10 to not finishing any event in the top 20. Wow. And just by going from BFGs to Toyo. So after that, I kind of changed my rules on sponsorship. If you can't win on it, what good is it? And at the end of the season, we were locked in with Toyo if we competed. So I, I built a new moon buggy built the car. The car was already on BFGs. I'd already planned on running the car. And Toyo came and said, no, we want you on Toyos for 2006. At that point, I said, no, we're not going to compete. I sold the car and built a Jeep Speed. And, and we were at the first um, Best in Desert race of the year for 2006. And a Jeep Speed, we built it over 30 days and kind of completely changed direction. I was wondering why... I didn't remember the Toyo portion and I was wondering why all of a sudden it was just, you were gone. You know, I didn't, I didn't yeah. know the reason was. And Toyo, I mean, our contract Toyo had done some kind of crappy stuff. I mean, they, Travis from Toyo had came to us at SEMA, made us this huge, ridiculously huge offer. And Lance, you know, Lance was like, you're crazy if you don't take it. So we took it. And then they come to us and say, hey, look, we want to get a bunch of product and funding off the books before the end of the season. So we're going to send it over to you. And they sent us a temporary contract, which turned into a permanent contract that was nothing like what we originally talked about. Uh So out of what was that? I said shenanigans. Yep. So out of that, I mean, originally we were supposed to get a bunch of tires. We ended up getting two sets of tires for almost two years. And uh, yeah, it was not a good deal, but I mean, it kind of is what it is. Live and learn, you know? So yeah, then we went to Jeep Speed the first year in Jeep Speed. I don't remember where we placed for the year, but the, uh, the end of the year, Lance actually had purchased the Jeep Speed but the car was nowhere in shape to race something like the Baja 1000. But him and him and uh, Camel came to me and they said, Hey, you want to race the Baja 1000? And it was about 30 days before the 1000. And I'm like, uh, yeah. So he said, okay, you get the car ready. We'll cover everything else. So we got everything ready and we went down and raced. We didn't pre-run anything. And uh, we showed up and there was Eric Flar. There was one or two other teams there. And then uh, we ended up, we ended up winning the thousand the first year we did it. And it was a peninsula run. After that, I mean, it kind of the next year we won a score championship and then we won the thousand three years in a row in the Jeep speed. We ended up for a total winning three score championships and one best in desert championship in Jeep speed. Nice. I, I can remember I was down there with you on, on some of those. Those were yep. some good trips. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, uh, Peninsula runs are fun. They, I mean, they're, 
sometimes they're not fun while you're doing it. Sometimes you're, you're asking yourself, why am I doing it? But, uh, peninsula runs are good. They, uh, you got to have a lot of grit to pull off a peninsula run. True. Very true. Whether you're on the pit crew or in the car or the owner, whatever. I mean, it's Baja's no joke. You know, it's not, it's not the same as a Vegas Torino race. Um, even though sometimes the mileages might be close, Baja is a completely different animal. I don't know. Like right now we're actually with our car, we're looking at next season and we're like, do we run a season of score or do we run a season of best in the desert? And score is just such a, a bigger accomplishment. You know, it, there's so much more involved in it, but sometimes it's nice to do a series that's a lot easier, you know, and, and just, you know, everything's a little bit more black and white with doing a best in the desert race. You know, it's, it's easier to expect what you're going to get. Yeah, there's no border crossings too. Things yeah. get different across the border. It really, they really do. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Those that that have done it, and a lot of our listeners have been down, you know, to Mexico to race. They they understand what we're talking about. And then there's those those people that have that that dream of going down there and racing. And I always tell them, find a team to go with. You know, get on a crew. Whether you're just driving somebody around, or you're wrenching, or you know, you're a tire guy, whatever, but just get on a crew before you decide that that's what you want to do and see what it's like. Yep. You know, and it, cause it makes a big difference. It really does. So we, uh, we raced the Jeep speed from 2006 through 2010. Um, the end of 2010, we sold the Jeep speed and we ended up, uh, good friend of mine bought a class 10 car and we ended up starting to race class 10 in 2011. And then 2011, 2012 and 2013, we did, well, 2011, we ran best in the desert um, and a little bit of score. And then 2012 and 2013, we ran score 2013, I think, was a year that we ran score and HGRA. And in, uh, in 2013, we got the Toyota Milestone Award for, you know, completing every race mile of every race. And then we also got third in the world championship that was be split between the two classes um, or between the two series. So for score and HGRA. But, yeah, that was a that was a tough year but a lot of races, a lot of races, <laughs> because I think we actually did a couple of best in desert races that year as well. I think we did like 11 races that year. Wow. Um, and then we, I think it was 2014. I, uh, I 17 miles from the end of the Baja 1000. I parked the car in the rear of a trophy truck at 85 miles an hour. Oh, trophy truck was stopped. I was chasing. It was like one o'clock in the morning. I was chasing them on our way to the finish of the race. We were currently in like fifth place. I knew sixth place was behind us. And so I was trying to get around this slower truck that, you know, obviously he had had a bad day because we were catching them. We're on this long straightaway road and, uh, me and my co-driver Orlando was actually co-driving and, I told him, I said, okay, let's get this guy on the straightaway. And we started reeling him in. We get it to where we're driving through the dust. And, you know, you get to that point where the dust will get so thick, you'll lose the guy's amber lights in the dust. And 
you lose the lights in the dust and, you know, you're just kind of staring at the GPS and we're doing 85 miles an hour and we come out of the dust. And I'm like, my first thought is cool. We've caught him. And then I realized he's dead stopped. And uh, he stopped kind of on the side of the road to let us go by. But when you're chasing a tail light, you can't tell that that because you can't see where the road is. And uh, we hit him probably still doing about 70, 74 miles an hour. And um, his rear differential was up against my steering wheel at one point in the crash. Um, Got on the brakes and it basically, you know, bottomed the front suspension of the car when I got on the brakes. And we went under the rear bumper of the trophy truck. His uh, rear bumper cleaned the, it bent the A-pillars on the race car. It cleaned the light bar off the roof. It ripped the shocks off the car, one of the shocks off the car. It ripped the steering rack out of the car, broke the tie rods throttle was stuck wide open on the car afterwards. And like when it all came to a stop, you know, the dash was all smashed down and the steering wheel was all bent, but the two cars kind of blew apart and after, you know, they hit compressed and then blew apart. We're facing the wrong direction. The throttle's wide open. I'm covered in shock oil. I'm like stunned. I'm alive. And I look over and the trophy truck drives away, just drives away and leaves us there. Wow. And yeah, so I was pretty disappointed. I was mad to say the least. Um, Bondo had to yell at me and tell me to stop because I obviously wasn't going to catch him. And I was trying to, even though the car wasn't driving the direction I was trying to go. (laughs) Um, But we called our chase crew and uh, I thought, I thought we were done at that point. They brought us some parts and we worked on the car for about two hours and we got it to where we could drive about 10 miles an hour all the way to the finish line. And uh, I remember we got to the finish line and Roger Norman was standing there and he looked at me and he's like, what in the hell happened? <laughs> the car was just wadded up. But, but you finished. You know, we finished and looking back, you know, it's like not too many people have that kind of a story, you know, that they hit a park trophy truck at 70 plus miles an hour. And one lived to tell about it too. They finished the race in a class 10 car of all things. I mean, right. that's a lightweight car to run into something that big and heavy. Right. Was that the car that started off as that when we were, is like a three that uh, against those predators or whatever they were? It was never a three car. It was built by the company that built those. Cause the three cars are shorter wheelbase, the three thousands, right. but it, our car was originally built by Full Potential um, Motorsports, which our car was the very first Class 10 car that SCORE or Best in the Desert allowed. Well, it was the first car that Best in the Desert allowed to run an Ecotech. And they did it for a season before we bought it to see how it would compete against the other 10 cars. And then it became the thing, you know. So in in score, we raced a car in class four because the first in 2011 or yeah, 2011 in score, they hadn't quite separated the classes yet or they hadn't quite let Ecotechs in class 10 yet. Um, so we raced class four. And then the next year, um, every we went to class 10 because everybody okay. was going to Ecotechs. Yeah, I, I didn't mean class three. I know class three is the four-wheel drive Broncos and Blazers and stuff, correct? Yeah. 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 But they have class 3000, which is basically a short wheel based class 10 car. Okay. All right. What are you doing now race-wise? So we, after we wrecked the car at that time, our main sponsor was 
a company called Transfer Case Express, which they sell transfer cases. And we were kind of trying to appeal to them a little bit more. So I said, you know what, when we rebuild the car, let's put a truck body on it. We'll put a V6 in it and we'll race in class seven unlimited. So we did that. And the following year, Transfer Case Express dropped us and sponsored a King of the Hammers team. So that year we decided, screw it, we're not going to race. We waited, we raced the 50th Baja 1000 for the first time with the, the in class seven unlimited. We ended up getting, we ended up getting third, but we got bumped to fourth because we ran over a cone at a checkpoint at a half a mile an hour. Oh, um, yeah. And super, super discouraging because the checkpoint worker said it was totally unsafe, but it was let, I mean, slower than walking speed. We ran the cone over and it was at Coco's corner and there was a semi truck blocking the entrance to the checkpoint. And uh, yeah, it was super frustrating. But but anyway, so we got fourth place at that race and then we didn't race the following year, which was 2018. And then last year we raced again and uh, in the big mud fest last year was the year that they got all the rain. Right. And um, they had to delay the race. Didn't, isn't that the year that yeah. delayed it? Right. Yeah, they delayed it 24 hours. And then, uh, but I mean, we're racing against, you know, I mean, most of the cars in the class are basically, they're spec trophy trucks. Spec trophy truck allows you to run the Ford EcoBoost, you know, the V6 EcoBoost, but the spec trophies aren't allowed to run 40 inch tires. Well, there's one of the trucks in the class is a spec trophy chassis with an EcoBoost, 40 inch tires and four inch Kings. I mean, it's, you know, a legit truck. And that, but then the other one is the Honda Ridgeline, which is another really legit truck. I mean, they, there's a Tisco spec trophy truck chassis with the twin, twin turboed um, Honda V6 that makes a bunch of horsepower. I'd like to know how much horsepower, because I figure their truck's got to be about 6,000 pounds. And uh, we started before them last year at the 1,000, and we were on a straightaway, and I knew he was going to catch us. Just our our plan wasn't to be super aggressive in the hills of Ensenada. It's just super dangerous. So I usually like to wait until we get out of the Ensenada hills before we start pushing hard. And um he caught me and we were turning onto a straightaway, you know, it was a good slow down 90 degree turn. And he was right on my rear bumper. And I'm like, okay, well, let's see, you know, how fast his truck is because our car's super light. Um, I won't talk about how our, our car is literally like right at the legal limit of, <laughs> of light and it's 350 horsepower. His cars double the weight, you know, I don't know how much horsepower they have, but I figured we would see, you know, if he, if he keeps up, then it's making a bunch of power. And I could not believe it. I, you know, at about a hundred miles an hour, I looked in my mirror and he was up against my quarter panel and he was not, not giving up at all. So finally I was like, screw it. I let him go. About 40 miles later, I came around the corner. He's upside down in a ditch. <laughs> so <laughs> that kind of sucked for those guys. Um, I figured they would get it back together and catch us. I mean, they they flipped it back over, and I think they had some other issues and whatnot. But it's kind of fun racing against those guys in our little little Class 10 car with a V6 in it, you know. That's but, sweet. Yeah. 
so we ended up uh we we had a pretty good race we we battled with dan chamley up up by mike sky ranch was probably the most fun racing i've i've had um he was super cool. Like we caught him and he would move over and let us go. You know, he went, he wouldn't, uh, he wouldn't jackrabbit from me or whatnot. And we, uh, we had passed him once. We, we, we spun out in a huge puddle and debeated a tire and got a flat and he passed us and we get to the next BFG pit. He's in the pit. We're in the pit. We get out ahead of him. Then we get up by Mike Sky Ranch and it had just gotten dark and I friggin' I turned right down a road that was a left and I'm stopped and I'm trying to back out this road and he goes by behind me and he it's funny because he actually stopped behind me and uh and looked to see you know because I'm sure he for a second was confused on which way to go as well and uh so I'm I back up he takes off and after that it was pretty much single track for a long time so I was on him and he wasn't really pushing hard. And, and then uh, as it opened up, he started pushing harder and harder and harder. And next thing you know, we're coming into corners. I mean, and there's no dust because it's all, it's been so wet and, you know, and it's dark and whatnot. So the shadows work really well for being able to see, you know, um, I, I like shadows because the bigger the shadow, the bigger the hole, you know. <laughs> and uh, so we start chasing him really hard and pretty soon he's coming out of corners and he's getting up on two wheels a little bit. And, you know, and I mean, I, in that section, it was kind of like, you know, a slot car versus a UPS truck, you know, it's just, you know, it, it was really easy for us and he was having to push really hard in the turns and whatnot. Um, and he finally, he, he finally like kind of edged over to the right a little bit and let us go by him in some bushes and whatnot. And, uh, that was pretty hairy. It was about a hundred mile an hour pass out through the bushes up by Mike's on, you know, cliff roads and everything else. Um, but then I drove it off a cliff. I uh, came around a corner and it was a blind turn. I couldn't see where the turn straightened up and I straightened up too soon and drove down off a, a big embankment. I stopped there and my co-driver gets out, um, Gordon Brown, he gets out and he uh, he's trying to get trucks to pull us out and nobody will pull us back onto the road and we're we're nosed off the road we have one tire that's still like above the bank but i can't get out of the car the car's literally teetering tottering back and forth and if i get out of the car with take my foot off the brake the car's just going to roll down the hill so gordon comes back over and he's like what do you want to do and i'm like well walk down in front of me a little ways and tell me what it looks like and because I can see cars driving by ahead of us, they're, so they're going down the road, making a, a 180 left, and it's so it's a switchback road. They're making a 180 left and driving down below us. And Gordon comes back and he's like, "Well, it's just cactuses and trees." I said, "Okay, well, I'm gonna go." And he's like, "What do you mean?" And I was like, "I'm just gonna roll to the bottom." And he's like, <laughs> are, "Are you crazy?" I'm like, "Well, kind of, you know, back in the competition rock rolling days." There's many a times when you plan a rollover and I was like, and I'm planning on rolling over right now. <laughs> so he's like, no, 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 we got to do something else. So we sent a message to one of our chase guys with our satellite tracker and he was at Mike's. So he starts coming to get us. And then um, we finally got, a, before he got there, we finally got a, a spec trophy truck that we had passed to, to pull us out. And uh, I don't remember their, their number, but I mean, he, 
it took like five full throttled yanks to get us all the way back up on the road. Wow. And um, at that point, once we got moving, we got noticed that we were, we were about 35 miles behind Chamley. So we were in second place, about 35 miles down. And uh, when I got out at the, uh, the, the road going up to Mike's at the highway there at the BFG pit, which was about, uh, it was about 50, it was probably 75 miles actually from where we were. We had actually made up everything, but about 15 minutes. Wow. Um, but good. then we got, so Adam, Adam got in the car and he did the San Felipe loop. But the problem was there, our car tops out at like 105. And I'm watching Chamley on the tracker, and he's doing quite a bit faster than that. I mean, it was at one point, I think I looked and it was like 112. And I know Adam didn't, you know, Adam didn't push our car right to the 105 because he didn't want to sit on the, you know, sit on the rev limit or on the lake bed. And then in the San Felipe whoops, also we had nothing for Chamley, you know, his his truck having, you know probably close to 30 inches of rear wheel travel and our car being, you know, 19, it just doesn't do well in the same way Bay whoop. So he, uh, he completely ran away from us until the end of the San Felipe section. And then we finally were able to get back by him. And then from that point, John, um, pretty much just cruised to the finish. I think we finished with like a 30 or 40 minute lead. That's pretty good. That's pretty yeah, good. It was a, it was a good one. race. Yeah. Awesome. And so you won that one. Yep. Cool. 2000, and that's 2020? Okay, that was 2020. Go ahead, say it again. 2019. 2019. So what's happened in 2020? Did you, have you raced at all? So we prepped the car and we were, we paid for our San Felipe entry and, uh, and then COVID hit. And they canceled San Felipe. And then we were going to do the 500, but it kept getting pushed back and kept getting pushed back. So I was like, you know, let's just wait and we'll do the 1,000. So then we we actually went out and we did shock tuning, a bunch of other stuff to get ready for the 1,000. And then uh, Adam on our team, him and his crew is such a huge part of the team. And he is he isn't able to go. He, he can't leave the country because of COVID right now. So they're on a, a you know a no travel restriction. You know, being in the military, and, and that's um, Adam Arsenault. Yes. Yeah. So I kind of thought about it a little bit, and you know, we were already short one driver. So then to have Adam not be able to go would put us two drivers down. And I'm like, you know what? I mean, I have a couple of people that would love to drive. But they were, you know, and I talked to them, they were nervous about it, you know, not ever really getting a lot of seat time in the car. And I'm like, you know, we don't have the pressure of a sponsor right now. And I would rather go feeling like I have a chance at winning than go worrying about, you know, something bad happening with the car or, you know, just, you know, the team or so on and so forth. So I'm like, you know what, we'll just, we'll, We'll just wait until 2021 and, you know, hopefully we can run a whole season in 2021. Yeah. We're all hoping that. So what's, uh, what else is going on? Anything, anything Well, else? I mean, you want some history on the shop? Yeah, absolutely. 
So, I mean, that's kind of enough about me, but the shop, so we opened the shop in 98. Right. Kind of ironic. My first job, I still remember today, Dodge Neon oil pan gasket. (laughs) But anyway, so we opened the shop in 98 and, you know, I thought moving to Carson City, opening a shop up there would be awesome, you know, closer to Rubicon, lots of BLM land, so on. But the reality was, was there was very few local people that were into off-roading. There was a small group of local guys and, you know, there was some shops and stuff in Reno and people out there that, you know, but they weren't going to travel to Carson to have work done. So in the beginning, it was pretty difficult. You know, we started out doing a lot of service work and just regular automotive work. And then at one point, I bought, I bought a bunch of exhaust machine equipment and, you know, we rented the unit next to ours and opened a exhaust shop and we were doing exhaust stuff. And then, uh, you know, about the time that we got into the competition rock crawling stuff, things started kind of getting a little bit better after we won the championship. Um, I remember I was at an event and I, I was like, okay, at this point, we need to hire somebody to do online sales and just kind of, you know, focus on that. And we used to sell a fair amount on, you know, doing online sales. And we had, you know, a a decent crew that that's basically what they worked on. And then as things grew, you know, 2001, 2002, I had been doing basically all the fab work prior to that. Well, I shouldn't say all of it. Um, A good friend of mine, Dave, start kind of helped me start the shop. And he was pretty decent with fab work. So he had done a lot of it, um, but he had moved back to the Bay Area and I I needed to find somebody. So actually your son recommended somebody I was at. I was at Lance Clifford's house up in Georgetown. And uh, no, 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 no. You're right. So your son had recommended Jesse. It was uh, it was camo that recommended Bender. So first it was Bender. That was kind of interesting. I didn't know anything about Rob. I didn't spend a whole lot of time on Pirate 4x4 at that point. You know, I mean, I spent time on there, but not really, not really caring who the other characters were. You know, I didn't really get caught up in, in, I mean, I would go on there and lurk and look at cool pictures of cool builds, but I didn't really spend much time, you know, on there per se. Um, so anyways, yeah, I hired Rob. He was lived, you know, at the time lived in Ridgecrest. He ended up moving in, moving up there and actually moved in with me and lived with me for I think most of the time that he worked for me. He was uh he was interesting. It was always I was always amazed at like just how much he knew and how you know, how good he was at pulling something out of nothing, you know. I mean, you could come up with an idea and he would have a part made you know, in a very short amount of time afterwards. Um, and at, at one point, the, the crew we had was, I mean, I kind of feel like we've I've always been kind of lucky on the crew we've we have had. But at one point with Rob there, I mean, we had Rob, Nick Sosha, um, Kat, Jeremy, which we called Jerb. We had quite a few really good guys that were good guys in the industry that really knew what they were doing. Um, and I mean, it was fun. It was fun building rigs with them because most of the guys were doing it because they had a love for the sport and which worked really good with, you know, at the, the sport at that point in time didn't support, 
you know, the $100,000 builds that you would see today to build, you know, a full rig, you know. Um, so most of the rigs we were building were cheap built rigs, you know, not saying the parts were cheap, but we just didn't charge a lot, you know, to build them for compared to the hours that we had into them. And, but most of the guys, you know, I mean, they just, they love the sport, you know, most of them, if they weren't at the shop working, they were out wheeling or out of rock falling comp, you know, um, Rob worked there for, I don't know. I think he was there for, it had to be close to a couple of years. You know, Rob worked there through, he was after Jason's car was done. And then uh, we did the three Diablo twos um, while Rob worked there. He built all the chassis at the same time. That was kind of an interesting time too, because we built three Diablo twos from tubing on a rack to a running driving car. And we built Bob Stanage, a stock, stock mod car. And we built Josh Bureau, a stock mod car. And we did five cars in five weeks. And Lance documented the whole thing on Pirate. And at the end, I think everybody on, you know, in the shop hated each other. And (laughs) it was a lot of long hours. But, um, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, a lot of work. I don't really miss those long hours that we used to do back then. Um, And it kind of, that that kind of screwed me up because after that, you know, going down the road, it was like, I always looked at, we could get so much done in such a little amount of time that it made, made scheduling stuff from there on forward. I was terrible at it. Maybe I was always terrible at it, but I always think that we can get stuff done faster than we actually can. But yeah, I mean, those times were fun building all those rigs at the same time. And then we built Bob Stanage's moon buggy and we built myself one at the same time. Um, and uh, they were both Subaru powered rather than Volkswagen powered or Ecotech, like most of the guys were doing. Bob's actually got out and competed a bunch. Mine was sold and went to Mexico brand new. It was, you know, it never ended up actually getting, you know, wasn't, we never competed in it here. Bob's car was a little bit goofy though. It like, it didn't, it didn't climb as well as most of the cars we built. I think uh, once, I think Blue Torch had put an LS in it, took the Subaru out and there's, there's a few videos of it doing backflips with the LS in it. <laughs> but, oh yes. <laughs> Isn't that the one that Doc Mercer ended up with? Yeah, didn't it? I think it burnt to the ground, didn't it? At yeah. King Hammers or something? Yeah. yeah. And that was after he rolled it at, at some of the Eastern events that we had after Bob owned it. Yeah, it was it was almost a Christine car. You know, you didn't yeah. know what it was going to do to you. Yeah, I mean, there was that video online that Stanage hated, Bob Stanage hated, but it was that he uh, it did a backflip 180 and uh landed on its wheels and then he was knocked out and it ran over a couple other rigs or something um but yeah that was portland indiana yep yeah so then uh i don't know once all that stuff kind of came slowed down we we pretty much once i sold my car we weren't really getting requests to build cars too often and then um i got a really strange so Rob had left and I was looking for somebody again. And that's actually when your kid recommended Jesse Haynes. 
And Jesse kind of went back and forth. He was going to go to work for Blue Torch. And then, you know, I talked to him some. And then he talked to to Rob Park about going to work for Blue Torch to see what his thoughts on it were. And Jesse finally was like, I think he was, I think Jesse wanted to move out west to be where, you know, the the west rock crawling scene was. Um, Jesse's kind of, he's another one of those guys that's always just kind of done it for the love of the sport. And uh, so it was for him, it was never about money. It was always, he wanted to, to, to wheel, you know, the hammers and, you know, in the Sierras and be able to compete and do, you know, basically do his sport and, and so on. And uh, so right about the time that Jesse came to work for me, I got a, a phone call from Bill Kuntz from Torchmate and uh, total unexpected, you know, he calls me and he says, Hey, you know, I want to build a car to compete for next year. You know, what would you build? What would you suggest? And we kind of laid it, you know, laid out what I thought. I thought the unlimited class for me, I was like, you know, it, I don't think it's going to be the more popular class right now. So I would build, you know, pro mod car and, uh, and he's like, okay, that's, you know, that's good. And he was talking to one other shop and, and, uh, wanted to know what I thought about them building it. I was like, well, you know, I mean, yeah, I, I can't badmouth another shop, but at the same time, it's like the, the proof is in the winds and, you know, and so he ended up having us build a car and, uh, that was the most expensive car we built. And it wasn't expensive on the labor side of it. It was just, he wanted the best of everything as far as component wise. And it was cool because we got to do one of the 60 degree steering spider tracks axles. And the thing would just do crazy stuff on because of how sharp it would turn. And then we did, you know, an LS3 in it and um, power glide with a big converter and the diffs were offset, the motor and everything was in the car sideways, but yet it was still a two-seater car. And that was a fun build. That car, when we got all done, was actually, so halfway through the build, I got suckered into to spotting for Bill. He knew I wasn't competing anymore, but I was doing the desert racing stuff. So he asked if I wanted to spot for him, and I was like, sure. And we went down to uh, to Paradise to the event down there. I don't remember if it was your event or whose event it was. Um, not Paradise. Was it Paradise? It's No, um, it's Oroville. No, the first event we went to. Oh, Browns, that Browns Valley. Brown no, Valley. it was in Southern California. Um, oh, Ricky Johnson's Park. We just talked about that place with Randall Davis because he was one of our judges with Losi uh, or with uh, Axial. And that, that's where Jason Shearer drag Paris. raced the, yeah, Paris. Paris. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, that's where Jason Shearer drag raced the car in the parking lot. <laughs> and the guy was <laughs> um, So, yeah, we went there and then uh, Bill told me basically the, the day before the comp that he had no rock crawling experience. He'd done a little bit of trail wheeling, but not even like <laughs> Rubicon level. And I'm like, I'm going to die. This guy's going to run me over for sure. So that event was interesting. I don't, we didn't do really good, but we, you know, we finished the event. The car was somewhat still in one piece, but I think it was on its lid at least once or twice at that event. And uh, that whole first season was pretty rough. And then um, Bill talked me into to doing it the second, another season. And the second season, um, we ended up getting uh, 
we ended up getting second place in the car. Was it, we? I don't know if it was second place or first place. I'll have to look at my. Uh, my yeah, trophies. I don't remember. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but yeah, that was that was fun. And then uh, Bill came to me and wanted to to do a uh, a desert race program. So we found an old Gary Turner uh, Class 7 Unlimited truck that Kurt Leduc had originally built. It was a Fabtech Class 7 truck. And it was in a bunch of videos and so on. It won a bunch of championships. And it had the SB, SBO, the 4.5 V6, 550 horse. Um, super cool truck, but it was a frame rail truck. So... It struggled in best in the desert against the two chassis trucks, mainly because the front didn't have enough wheel travel. They just couldn't get the front to cycle enough around the frame. But we helped build with that program. Um, I didn't drive or co-drive. I was I co-drove once for Bill in my Jeep Speed, and that ended up with a, a, a barrel roll of sort, nose to tell, actually, I should say. <laughs> um, after that, I didn't want to I didn't want to co-drive in something with 550 horsepower. I was scared. No, it was, it was, uh, it was fun. That's, uh, Bill ended up getting Brad Lovell to co-drive, um, which was good because Brad's super level headed. He, yeah, he stays pretty mellow. Not too much gets him riled up. So we started prepping that truck and they raced that truck for a couple seasons in Best in Desert. And, uh, they raced a couple score races as well with it. And, uh, we, at one point, half of our shop was just prepping their cars, their rock crawler and their race truck. And, you know, we had two guys that that's all they did was work on their stuff. And then uh, Bill's sister started competing in the rock crawler and, uh, and kept that going while Bill and his buddy, Greg raced the class seven truck. And then um, late 2008, I get a phone call from Lance and Lance is like, Hey, I went on the scariest ride of my life with Jason Shear. He's like, he put bypass air shocks on his rock crawler and we went out playing at the hammers to see if he can race it in King of the Hammers. And uh, Lance is like, it does not work well. So Jason called me and asked me if I wanted to redo the back half of the car or redo the car and make it work better. And um, I mean, it was a Campbell car that they built on kind of on pirate um, they built the car. The majority of the car was done in like a week, but it was a, it was very similar to the other cars that Shannon and, and his brother and those guys were building at that time. And it was, it was, it was a rock crawler. It wasn't really built to be a go fast King of the Hammers car. So we basically just brought it to the shop and we, we cut the roof off, but we only cut the roof off because Jason Berger didn't fit in the car. So we cut the roof off to raise the roof. And then we, redid the whole back half of the car, converted it to trailing arms with coilovers and bypasses, still use the same axle housings and so on. The only thing we ever really did to the front was put hydraulic bump stops on the front. And that car was, was kind of, that car was evil. I think it was like 650 horsepower. And it was like 2,600 pounds. It, uh, <laughs> it was definitely a friggin' very evil car. And we did the rear of it. We had to do the car a three link because the rear diff was offset with a high pinion. So to do a four link, the upper link would have to go right through the drive shaft. So doing a three link, we were a wishbone three link, not a track bar. Um, we were able to put a crazy bend in the wishbone to make it clear the drive shaft. 
and it occasionally would break. I think he broke two wishbones in the car over the two or three seasons that he ran three seasons. I think he raced that car. And then, but right after we got it done, I it, like in the middle of building it, we were racing the Baja 1000 in 2008. And, um, so Jesse, which at this time had left Shavers off road and was working for four Torchmate, Jesse came in and he built a lot of the rear suspension stuff while I was gone doing the race. And then, um, Another guy, Cat, had done a new upper link mount in the front. We had to move the upper link mount because it full stuff. It would hit the, the harmonic balancer. And uh, we get the car all together. Jason goes out to run it, and it rips the upper link mount off the diff. And at, like, race speed, like, serious speed in the desert. Folds up the coilovers, just makes a mess out of everything in the front. And Jason calls me super calm, not, I mean, I'm sure he was not happy, but super just, just Jason, you know, he's just, and he's like, Hey, you know, this is a problem. This is what we did. You know, what do you, what do you think? Can you help me get it fixed? And I'm like, sure. So I sent my guy that at that time, my main guy that worked for me, I'm like, look, go down, stay at Jason's house for the week and help him get this car fixed. So, you know, he can make King of the Hammers and they got it fixed and, and, uh, got it all back together. And then, uh, literally the car was done like a week or two before King of the Hammers in 2009. And, uh, and then Jason went on to win King of the Hammers 2009 with the car. After that, I had a really hard time with King of the Hammers. Um, Dave Cole originally invited me to, to do it the first year. Um, and I said, no. And mainly I said, no, because I've always been kind of just one sport, one focus. And with doing the desert race stuff, I didn't have a car that I could go down there and play in. So I said, no, because I didn't have anything to, to go out and have fun and compete in. And, uh, or and they weren't even really competing the first year. It was more just a for fun thing. And then after we built Jason's car or rebuilt the Campbell car into what it was, I really wanted to race King the Hammers really bad. But I looked at it and I'm like, I just, I seen the progression of the sport. One, I didn't know if the, if the sport could get there because to grow, to be where the cars are today really takes a lot, you know? And, um, and it was all new, you know, I was like, I just don't know if the sport, you know, seeing rock crawling and, and, uh, how much it fell off for a long time. I was like, I don't know that, that King of the Hammers will be able to, to make that. And, and two, I looked at the cars and I knew that the cars were going to be like, you know, they're like computers or phones, you know, they're outdated by the time you get it done, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, and so in 2000, 2010, I was super lucky and Lance hooked up a deal with Dave Cole to race Dave Cole's IFS, King of Hammers car in class one at the Baja 1000. And oh, I remember. <laughs> the, I mean, talk about, there was so many things that, were against that car ever making it to the race. And so many people put in so much work, but the car in, I think it was in October at the, um, 
at the the women's race, the MDR race or whatever, the car was rolled and the car had caught on fire and almost burnt to the ground. And then they sent it up to Pacific Fab. Pacific Fab went in and rewired the car. I went up and helped work on it for one night. Jeff Mello went and helped work on it. All these guys were, you know, super hard trying to get this thing together. And Lance had kind of put together this whole crew and uh, of guys that were going to drive the car and chase and everything. And um, and the car, you know, they got the car done. I think it was new motor that Pacific Fab had supplied. They get the car to the thousand, and I remember they're they're driving it on the beach a day or so before the race and the car keeps stumbling and so on. So Jeff has me go drive it. Jeff's in the passenger seat and he's like, we're trying to figure out, they're trying to figure out what this running issue is. And I go and make a pass down the beach and soon you throw it in a corner, it stumbles and dies. And Jeff just looks at me and I'm like, yep, it's out of gas. <laughs> and they've been chasing this running issue all day. So we go back and uh, they fill the thing up. We take the thing to tech and the car was overweight and um, they knew the car was overweight prior to going down south. So they lightened the car up as much as they could. It was overweight for the cage tech. They did everything they could to get this car, to get this car underweight. And it ended up still being, a, I don't know, it was probably 50 pounds overweight when they, when they scaled it. And um, Jesse Combs was in the car at tech and, she uh she just smiled at Bill Savage and he's like, okay, screw it, you guys can go. And you know, so it worked out good having her in the car um through tech. And uh so then we uh we lined the car up um 18th off the line in class one. And uh back then score you had a different number for every race unless you were like the, the champion. So the car was 118, so we were 18th off the line. We're 18th off the line and not too many people have co-drove with me, you know, I'm, but one thing I, the, at the thousand, I like to catch the guys that start ahead of me, but I like to take it easy in the beginning. You know, the Hills and Ensenada are super dangerous, just the locals and it gets so silty and dusty. So, I mean, I felt like I was running a pretty conservative pace. I just like the car didn't like the whoops at all. Um, so anytime you get it, so I had asked Dave right before the race, I said, have you ever raced a car in four wheel drive? And he said, no, well, we had raced the Jeep speed in four wheel drive. We kind of drove the car. Like it was a rally car. You back it into the corner and you use the throttle. Like you're driving a jet boat basically. And wherever the front tires are pointed is where it goes, you know, and you just stand on the gas. So I left the starting line at the thousand and I'd never driven this car before other than driving it down the beach for less than a minute. I leave the, the starting line and I'm instantly on the starting line. I was like, wow, that's different. It just lit all four tires right off the starting line <laughs> and uh, throw it in the first turn. And, you know, and, and we start going and next thing, you know, I mean, we're coming out of the wash and I'm catching the class one car that started ahead of me and I get around <laughs> him. And then we catch that uh, Yokohama all wheel drive class one car. Um, the guys, I think they're from Japan or something like that. I caught him in the Ensenada Hills and he would not, he wouldn't, he refused to let me buy. 
And we were in a super narrow little single track spot and it was really rough up and down. And I, I moved in to give him a bump. And next thing I know, I think I was all the way up on the, I, I know my front tires were on top of his rear tires. I was really <laughs> up on top of the back of them. And I, and I wasn't trying to, it was just, it wasn't a speed difference as much as it was an elevation difference as we were going through the rough. And, you know, he moved over and next thing you know, we got to, uh, you know, we get to uh, Ojos and I think we had moved up to like sixth place. And uh, and then going through the Ojos rollers, um, um, I was racing Cody Parkhouse and like side by side through the Ojos rollers. And I couldn't, you know, coming in the Ojos rollers, they have those couple S turns and coming out of one of the S turns, you know, we came into it nose to tell and I just slingshotted around them and and you know, was gone. And, uh, but then, you know, there's, there's a few really whooped out spots that the car didn't like. So I, I really quickly learned I had to click it and tool drive in the whoops because otherwise the car just was violent. Um, and once you did that, it was a little bit better, but we kind of settled in, you know, we got around a bunch of cars and we kind of settled in and we just started cruising. And then at race mile 97, the, uh, the right front, we were coming around a corner and I, I hit the, the brakes, just, I tapped the brake a little bit and the brake pedal pulsed and like pushed back on my foot. And I'm like, well, that's weird. And I'm kind of like, you know, looking around to see what's going on. And right at that moment, the right front wheel came off the car with the caliper and everything else still attached to it. And it, uh, it sheared the, the front, the wheels, the, the spindle basically it was the unibearing and the unibearing, it looked kind of like the old Dodge power wagon kind of used them, the all wheel drive Dodge, you know, bearings from like the seventies, but it basically broke the unibearing flange where the wheel bolts do right off the unibearing. And, you know, the wheel, everything took off. I came sliding to a stop and, and it is just about not quite dark yet. So we uh, kind of crazy. We could not get a hold of anyone on our team via radio or phone. And I pulled my phone out and I had cell phone service, but I couldn't get a hold of anybody. So I actually posted pictures on Pirate. And that's how everybody on the team found out <laughs> was because I had posted pictures on Pirate. And uh so Scott Watkins had came in with his chase truck and welded the spindle back on. And we were hoping just to get it to the road. And we knew we had a spare, but we didn't know what chase truck it was in. Well, we went not very far at all. The spindle came off again. So I ratcheted the, it was the right front wheel that came off. I, I ratchet strapped the right front corner all the way compressed with a ratchet strap that uh, Scott Watkins had. And then I put a block under the right rear in between the bump stop and the uh, housing. And then I ratchet strapped the left rear all the way down. And it basically lifted the right front up. And one thing I'll, hand, I'll I'll definitely give, I think it was Kirby, Ron Kirby that built that car. Right. Is with that all done, you know, the car was set up, it basically was sitting level. And if you got out of the gas too quick, it would dive over and stuff that A-arm into the ground. But if you stayed on the gas, like we got to the highway and we had a couple other chase trucks meet us at the highway. And where we get to the highway, we're going down to the next BFG pit. And uh, which is actually BFG pit one. And I'm going down the highway and the chase truck behind me calls me on the radio. And, you know, back then it was a 60 mile an hour speed limit on the highway. 
and uh, he calls me on the radio and he's all, Hey Mike, um, I'm a little bit worried you're doing 70. And I was like, I'm not really worried about getting a speed penalty because we're so far down right now. And he said, no, I'm more worried because you got three wheels and you're doing 70, (laughs) but the car drove. I mean, you couldn't tell that unless you got on the brakes, you couldn't tell that it was missing a wheel. It drove so straight and had, zero bump steer that it just the thing worked freaking awesome and then uh we get to the bfg pit we sit there and wait for a couple hours trying to figure out who's got the spare spindle and then we finally figure out that it was actually we didn't figure out until after the race that it was in the back of jeff mellow's truck which was on the opposite coast yeah we were Um, were, sitting at coco's the the entrance to coco's off of highway one when yeah. we when we discovered that that's where it was at, so then I you know we're I don't know 150 miles outside of Ensenada, and it was that night it got it was like one of the coldest nights I've ever felt in Baja. So I'm like, okay, well I got to drive this thing back to town. I'm not going to sit and wait for a trailer. So I started driving it back to town, and there was a couple sketchy spots where you know some of that road going you know coming from oh, coming from basically Mike Sky Ranch towards Ensenada that uh that road's got some some cliff turns that are Ooh, yes. left-hand turns and I remember coming into one and realizing okay I'm way too hot and uh I come into this corner and I I as I start to turn left it dives up front arm into the ground and I don't want to drag the arm on the car you know and just tear the arms off the car so I remember uh, downshifting and just pitching the car sideways all the way around the turn so it would keep that A-arm in, up in the air. With three wheels. <laughs> you went three wheels. And then we get I get all the way to Ensenada and we're in the middle of town and I pass two cops. And as I look over, they're looking at me just shaking their head as I drive by. <laughs> but well, that's uh, Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a fun. I, I wish that I would have gotten the opportunity to race that car again. I think that car had huge potential. Um, I mean, they raced it a bunch, but it just, uh, I was shocked at how well that car did. And, you know, and this is 2010. So the year before Jason Shear had won King of the Hammers in his car. And this is 2010. And I'm like, okay, I know that I cannot build. I mean, I, I feel like I could build a car to compete in King of the Hammers even today, but it takes a lot. One, it takes a lot to compete at King of the Hammers, a lot more than just a good car. Correct. But the financial part of it, I just can't, I couldn't justify. I like racing in Baja so much that I couldn't justify building a car to, I know there's a whole series behind King of the Hammers, but for me, King of the Hammers is really the, the only race that I would care about doing. So I'm like, I can't justify spending that kind of, you know, that kind of money to do one race, you know, I just wasn't interested enough in doing the other races, but still it's like, you know, I didn't go to King the Hammers in 2011 and then I went in 12 and, um, I, I hate going because when I go, I want to build a car. I just <laughs> freaking I, I go and I, I want to compete, you know, but I just know I can't, you know, and I mean, even if I had, the best car out there. I mean, these guys are so good, you know, and you watch, you know, all of them, you know, but, you know, Tom Ways and Jason and Lauren and, you know, Nick Nelson, all those guys are just so friggin' so good, you know, that to, to beat these guys, it's like, you really have to have a perfect, 
a perfect car, a perfect day and the perfect crew, you know, it's just everything, everything has to work out perfect. You know, and it's a lot of the same as racing in Baja, you know, there's so much more, you know, you go to a best in desert race and I don't know, I can't really put down one series versus another, but it just, some races are very black and white. You show up, you race, everybody goes their designated pit. And it is what it is, but there's so many unexpected things that happen in a race like King of the Hammers or racing in Baja. You know, I mean, King of the Hammers has designated pits, but they're still, you know, you could pre-run something 10 times at King of the Hammers and then you get there and there was a bottleneck there and the whole course has changed, you know, and now you're winching the spot that you thought you were just going to rip right through. You know, it just, it takes somebody that can really adapt to the situation to do well at a race like that. Absolutely. And this, did you, uh, did you watch the live coverage or pay attention to the la- the race in 2000, this year, 2020? It was a phenomenal race. I think it was the best race KOH that there ever was. Most of the time I'm at the races or, you know, paying attention to what's going on, but that race had so many lead changes and whoever was out in front, you know, they always, something always happened, some, something's minor even, or a rollover or whatever. And all of a sudden they were out, you know, yeah. and uh, the, the amount of lead changes the the live coverage was phenomenal that this next year is going to be, is going to be really intriguing to see what happens. I really do. Yeah. And though it blows me away at Dave Cole and his crew have done an amazing job with putting together the live coverage. And I mean, it's insane. It's like, it doesn't, it's amazing that Dave has reshaped motorsports in, in some degree with having live coverage at an event that is this remote. And while there's still other events that are a lot easier to do coverage at that don't have as good a coverage. It's, it's crazy how well the live coverage is done at that yeah, event. He's, he's, he's got, he has brought in the right people to do the right things. And, you know, he has these hair, hair brain ideas and he'll call somebody up and says, this is what I want to do. Can we make this happen? You know, yeah. not knowing if it's, if the technology is there, or, you know, what do we need technology wise? And he's, he's willing to risk it all to make things happen. To some degree, that's kind of what it takes, though. You know, I mean, yeah, it does. Dave, Dave definitely. Uh, Dave's one of those guys. I think he doesn't care if you like him or you hate him. He's going to do him, and you know, and there's something to be said for that. You know, yeah. So finish up the shop real quick. Um, so 2010, we uh, we moved the shop from. So my wife and I had a daughter in 2009, and then um, we wanted to be closer to family. So in 2010, we moved the shop from Carson City back to the Bay Area. And originally, I I had no plans on moving the shop. Originally, my plans were I was going to go get a job working in a dealership and basically close the shop. And then a few phone calls later, um, a good friend of actually Jason Shear reached out to me, Ben Ratto, and said, hey, we got this shop. It's pretty much um, turnkey with equipment. You know, they, it was their personal hobby shop, their personal family hot rod shop. So I would, I literally moved from Nevada on a Friday and I was working at that shop on Monday 
and uh, rearranging it. And I, before I even moved, I already had a couple months worth of work lined up. So we moved the shop down. Um, I used their shop for a couple of years and then um, we moved. That shop was actually just on the outskirts of Oakland. And then we moved our shop um, into Alameda. Um, and then uh, we moved in with a guy that had a water jet shop. And basically we, we leased half of his shop. And then we've moved a couple times since then. Um, now we're at a shipyard, which is has its pluses and minuses. The, the nice thing is, is it's super secure. They have you know twenty four hour security locked you know complex because they work on military boats and stuff. So you can you don't pretty much have to worry about anything. And uh, but at the same time, it's a shipyard, so it looks like a shipyard. <laughs> A lot of customers are like, uh, am I in the right place? <laughs> but, uh, but, and then we, when we moved from Carson City to the Bay Area, kind of backwards from what most people want to do, we stopped pretty much doing like online sales. And uh, we just, there was only so much I could take on when I moved the shop. So it was one of the things that I didn't really decide that I wanted to deal with. And, and, um, and we basically just focused on on just doing work and we built a few a few rigs since we moved but it's kind of funny uh dave from poly performance one day gave me kind of a, a lecture about building rigs and making money building rigs and and whatnot and it it actually kind of sank in and it's changed kind of what we do i mean we have half the shop right now is dedicated to fab work but we're not taking fab appointments. I mean, I probably still have a year's backlog of fab work sitting here. And uh, and then the other half of the shop is dedicated basically to gears, suspension installs, um, stuff that's in and out. And that's kind of, you know, we're looking at probably moving into a, a, a different spot next year. It'll be probably about three times bigger than where we're at. And I'm hoping at that point we won't have any major fab. Um, I'd like to, if we're going to do fab work, I'd like to just have one fab project. And when that fab project's done, um, bring in another one. It's, uh, it's kind of funny because years ago, Bob Rogie actually worked for me for a while. And, uh, that was one of his big things. He says, why don't we wait to bring in another project until the one before it leaves? And it's hard when you're scheduling stuff, but when you get to the point where that's not where you're making your money, it's it's easy to put together a waiting list and, and you know, you kind of build what you want. And that's kind of where I'm at. I'm like, if I'm going to do fab work, either I want to do it on my own stuff or I want to build just what we want. And that's it. You know, not not do everything that comes in the door. Right. Um, so that's kind of the direction we, we've gone. I mean, we have. I have an old school Jeepster build that's going to be super high end build that we're doing right now. And then I got a CJ five that's going to race Nora that we're building. And it's kind of like a, uh, it's very similar to kind of the same setup that we did on Jason Shears old King, the hammers car, you know, some of the same, like the trailing arms are very similar and so on. And, uh, you know, nine inch housings front and rear, but that one's kind of cool because he's running a big, 426 inch stroker AMC motor, like 700 horsepower. And it's a 90, 99 inch wheelbase or 95 inch wheelbase. It's going to be a handful. <laughs> but uh, 
two inch chromoly cage. So it'll be, it'll be all good when shit goes bad. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's a lot of horsepower for a short wheelbase. Oh yeah. Yeah. It'll, uh, it'll, it should get with the program though. It'll be <laughs> it'll fun. The cattle guards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sideways. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then, you know, I got, I got, uh, a pretty decent crew here, you know. Um, I mean, I've been lucky to have Rob and and uh, Jesse work for me over the years, and a bunch of other really good fab guys. And then here, I got, I got a, well, I call them kids because they all call me old man. It's funny because most of the guys that work for me are younger than my shop is old. And I remember being, you know, twenty five years old, and people telling me that they weren't going to let me work on their their toy because I was younger than they were back when I opened the shop and now I'm 47 and like, it's crazy that, you know, still doing the same stuff, but, but I got one fab guy that's, he's, uh, he's like all of them, you know, they're all, uh, they're all the best if you ask them, you know, but in their own right mind, they are because they all have their own style and they all bring something different. But so I got one good fab guy right now. And then uh, a couple, I got one kid that works for me that, he uh, just, yeah, he, he, it's amazing at how much work he can crank out the door when he, when he is motivated and wants to, but he's like, I was when he's, when I was his age, he's freaking playing with everything with wheels. So it's uh, keeping him motivated. is the hard part. Yeah. And then I got another guy that I hired. That's um, a guy, Julio, that does all our gear installs and motor work and stuff. And, and he's another one's pretty good at what he does. So it, the crew right now works works pretty well together. Awesome, glad to hear that. So I've kept you now almost two hours, <laughs> and I'd like to uh, to say thank you so much for coming on and sharing your history and what you're doing. And this this episode is actually going to air this Thursday. And we're, uh, I'm going to go right into editing when we get off the phone. It's, I want to say over the years, you've always, you've always been really honest with me. You, uh, you know, it, with, through our friendship and everything, and I've helped you on the, on the race team at times, you know, being part of the crew, mo- mainly the guy on the radio. And I remember one time you told me, yeah, I like you and only you to talk to me on the radio because you're calming. You know, you're not, you don't sound panicked when you're on the radio. And that always cracked me up because I always felt panicked. (laughs) Where are you at? (laughs) But, uh, you know, I want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to go to Mexico with you and always being honest. I remember back in the early days of Cal Rocks, you know, you were like, oh, you got to do things differently. And then, you know, when all the dust settled and I'm the only promoter out there, and you come back and you go, you know what? Look back on it. I think you were doing it your way, which worked out better because you're still doing it. So kudos to you. And I, I really appreciated that, Mike. So thank you for your friendship. Thank you for competing with us and being a big part of our life, my life, and uh, my family's life. And and I hope to be able to get down to Mexico someday with you guys again and and have some fun. You know, yeah, and, definitely. And, definitely. Uh, I, I wish, go ahead. I, I miss hanging out with you guys. You know, I kind of, it's funny because uh, I don't know. I, 
I can't bring myself to build a rig to compete in rock crawling again, but I've looked at it a few times and I've been like, man, those cars are so much simpler than some of the stuff we built now, you know, but uh, yeah, I, I miss, I miss the, the technical part of the sport, you know, um, that's really what I liked. Um, it's even in, in the desert racing, you know, I usually like the tight technical sections and, you know, the rocky sections because it's kind of, a, I don't know, I feel like it's more of a challenge than just to get on a lake bed and lay it down, you know. Right. Um, granted, getting on a lake bed and laying it down, you know, takes a lot of nerve. But at the same time, you know, running twice as fast as your nearest competitor through a rock garden, you know, it, uh, you got to be satisfying. <laughs> you got to be able to keep the car together, you know, but, yeah. but yeah, I miss you guys. Um, yeah, it, uh, you definitely need to get you out there and get you back, back out there with us and work in the radio again and, and so on. Yeah. Now I'm actually set up for it. I, you know, I don't take the Cherokee, those kind of places. we got a Raptor and got 110 watt radios and everything. And, you know, much better prepared than I used to be. We'll get together and we'll do it someday. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll make it happen. Definitely. Yeah. We got a, we got a peninsula run coming up in about a year from now. So (laughs) that might be a good one. That's, that's something to shoot for. Sounds good to me. All right. All right, Mike, I want to say thank you very much. And uh, I'll let you know exactly when this thing um, loads and uh, airs. It'll be, well, it'll be Thursday morning. So, uh, you know, maybe you can help share it and everything and uh, say hello to the family and we'll, uh, we'll see you next time around. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good night. You too. If you enjoy these podcasts, please give us a rating, share some feedback with us via Facebook or Instagram and share our link among your friends who might be like-minded. Well, that brings this episode to an end. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll catch you next week with Conversations with Big Rich. Thank you very much.